Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Episode 21. Bob Fingerman and Matthew Medney. Hello there. It's Sunday. It's Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Welcome along. My name is Len Sultana, and each and every Sunday we talk Comic-Cons, con culture, and all the stuff and nonsense we get to enjoy at such shows. As the year has gone on, uh, Talking Con has evolved into something entirely different, uh, where we've gotten some amazing guests on to talk about their uh, careers, uh, their um, the way that their work has been affected by 2020, uh, by the things that they have been keeping themselves occupied with over the course of this strange and um, intriguing year. Um, as always, it's a roundtable. It's your show. Uh, we've got a couple of people who are jumping in already. Welcome along to Andrew English. Hello all from London. It's great to have you joining us, Andrew. Aaron Nabus. Hola from San Diego. Pleasure to have you. Uh, Toby is joining us. Morning. And also uh, Michael P as well. So the... Uh, the West Coast contingent is with us. It's great to have you along. Thank you so much indeed for your company. Um, the show that we had yesterday, if you caught it, was uh, with Stephanie Phillips, uh, who is a writer um, of many genres and has been doing some incredible books for some amazing companies, including um, a relaunch of Tana for Heavy Metal magazine. Um, we've been having a number of heavy metal uh, talents on the show uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to them, especially seeing as how heavy metal has just blossomed um, and really grabbed the bull by the horns uh, in 2020. One of the creators that uh, is uh, releasing something under the heavy metal uh, banner is our first of two guests today. Uh, we are joined by Bob Fingerman. Hello there, sir. How the devil are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. I was going to say good morning, but it's uh, evening for you. So It is evening. Yes, I, mean, that, I know that we were on our um, uh, communication on our email and you were just going, ah, right. So, uh, uh, well, I mean, if you're uh, in San Diego as well, trust me, you are not the only person that gets confused by my um, social media handle. Uh, but no, I'm uh, here in uh, the uh, the very dark of uh, Yorkshire, uh, here in the UK. Um, but uh, yes, where where are you based? Where whereabouts in the country are you? Los Angeles. Right. So. Okay. Uh, so as, of, I that as of twenty as of November twenty seventeen. So right. prior to that, New York, my whole life. Okay. So we're talking to major uh, uh, hubs, um, and uh, certainly two that have been severely affected by uh, uh, the events and the uh, effects of this year. Um, where about, what's your current state of uh, play at the moment when it comes to pandemic and lockdown and all of that stuff and nonsense? Uh, well, I would say I, I err on the side of caution. Uh, you nice. know, I, I definitely, if you're seeing any pictures of, of large gatherings with uh, no masks, you will not be finding me in those pictures. <laughs> if you try to do a uh, Where's Waldo or Where's Wally, I think, as, as you have it. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, it's, uh, suffice it to say, the world has gotten a lot smaller, uh, which I think is okay for the Fair time enough. being. Not, not, for the... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the reason why uh, we've uh, got you on today is to talk about, uh, like I say, the exciting project that you've got uh, uh, under the heavy metal banner. But um, as always with the, the show that I've been running for this year, I have been doing my three questions. It is talking con, so you might as well uh, keep with the brand. Number one, it's a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. I've got my PG tips to hand. I've gone PG tips today. Uh, what is your yeah, What is your beverage of choice uh, today, sir? Uh, mine, I, I guess I could say it's George Clooney approved because it's an espresso. So it's well. Yeah, listen, uh, I mean, I saw the adverts and I thought George Clooney hawking coffee, coffee, and then I saw the article about him going, yeah, and I take all of that money and I spend it on satellites, keeping a track on dictators. And I'm going, you know, why not? If you're gonna if you're gonna sell coffee, you might as well do it and uh, get that regard. That's fair enough. Uh, That's right. I'm doing my. <laughs> I'm doing, <laughs> doing, doing your part. Keeping, absolutely. <laughs> no. uh, question number two is: um, Can you remember your first Comic Con? Uh, the uh, the first yes. one you went to, and was it as a pro or was it as a fan? Uh, well, I it wasn't. I guess strictly speaking, a Comic Con. I think the first one I went to was one of your more all over uh, sci fi fantasy comics all of uh, all of the above and it was one of the the pre-glamorous ones they used to have at local hotels in new york um and i think i was a freshman in high school so i think i was either 14 or 15 uh at my first one and i remember asking a professional question my only memory it's the only one that's burned into my head was i did the classic nerd question where I went up to a comic, it was the first comic artist I'd ever met and that I'd ever heard of. And uh, I asked him the, uh, what what pen do you draw with question? Which I think is is what every aspiring artist ever asks a creator they admire. Like, as if somehow that implement is going to be imbued with <laughs> talent and, and not just, uh, and he, and he kind of shot me down. So that's why it stuck with me is, I made the mistake of of saying that I was drawing with uh, rapidographs, the technical pens, and without missing a beat, he said, "No real artist uses those." Oh, good lord! <laughs> so, so it kind of stuck with me. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it's the first question you ask, and that's the kind of response you get. I mean, I I I have asked a similar question uh, when it comes to kind of to writers, just like, what's your the, the the kind of program they use. Uh, I mean, is is it Notepad or something? I guess. Yeah, as long as you get it down, that's fine. So I was, I think I got a slightly more responsive person <laughs> for my first question than uh, you did. I mean, that's a bit. I'm glad that you, you haven't know, named and shamed. Uh, so got, that's, that's. Yeah, no, I'm not naming names, but he did. <laughs> you know, he he crushed a child's spirit, and you can't put a price on that. <laughs> so. Fair enough. And the quest, third question I've been asking is, um, uh, obviously, uh, in the intervening years, heading to Comic Cons, you've gotten the chance to meet. Uh, hopefully some fan, uh, some idols, uh, some people that have influenced the work uh, that you've done over the years. Uh, I can say you... I, I know every single face that was in your opening credits. So yeah. So. Well, there you go, including uh, including Mr. Stashwick a little bit. So 
I, well, I mean, he has been incredibly generous to come on the show, considering I kind of accosted him outside of Disney D23. I was wearing board shorts. I was wearing... I, I couldn't look more like an English tourist if I tried. I mean, I was beating the lobster red, the whole bit. And I just kind of went, I know you off the telly. Uh, come here right. and talk to me for five minutes. And he was—he just went, yep, yeah, fine. And he just took it in his stride. So, no, I'm a, a big fan. Well, this, um, will, this will make you feel a little better. I accosted him outside a men's toilet at farmer's market. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Fair enough. So I think that shows just what a generous human he is. That he uh... Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the question I usually, the, the third question is, um, those <laughs> moments, though, when you have found yourself a little bit uh, cotton mouthed and a little bit weak at the knees when you have met an idol, uh, those memorable moments with uh, your influences. Yeah, well, actually, I, over the years, I, I'll say I, I'm generally not very shy about that kind of thing. Um, but the one time where I met someone who was a, a, a lifelong idol, I mean, somebody I had been worshipping since I was in the single digits, and that was Sergio Aragones. Wow. And he, I, I had been told that he was extremely approachable, but it was all on me. When I went over to introduce myself, I really choked. And uh, <laughs> so it was uh, a real amazing turn of fate, you know, that I got to work for Mad Magazine for a while and we became friendly. You know, suddenly uh, when I would see Sergio, he would wave and hello, Bob. And that, believe me, that, that, that still blows my mind, you know, that I went from being kind of like <laughs> to, you know, being able to embrace him when I see him in public. It's so, so that's a pretty sweet thing. And that, if you had told me that as a child, I would have, I would have said that'll never happen. So that, that was pretty wow. cool. Wow. Excellent stuff. Um, like I say, um, it's, been a, a, a varied and long career for yourself, uh, working, like you say, for a number of publishers um, and uh, doing some incredible work over the over the years. But you have done uh, work for Heavy Metal, and it's there you've returned to for the project that we're going to be talking about today, uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, Dottie's Inferno. Um, it's been uh, announced as part of the virus imprint. Uh, yep. Which, when you read the actual um, synopsis of the story, it seems like a strange fit because what it, it, when I got told about what virus was going to be all about, it was going to be cutting edge stories. It was going to be um, it's kind of stretching the, uh, the 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 boundaries of what heavy metal would be doing. Um, this seems. Um, more suited perhaps for the, the main title perhaps or uh, where it finds its home. Um, if you could kind of give us a little bit of a, uh, a breakdown, an overview of Dottie's Inferno, please. The, uh, to use the local vernacular, the elevator pitch. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's about a character named Dottie who in life was a call girl or escort, if you want to use the, uh, the more polite term and finds herself in death working in the new admissions office in hell. I think that's it. That's it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, this is uh, from the, 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 the 
the frames that I've seen, unfortunately, I'm having some technical issues with one of the programs, which I would usually bring up some graphics at this point. So I'd usually show what I can. But from what I've learned about the book, it's something that, like you say, it can be distilled into that elevator pitch, but it can go very much all over the place in terms of the... Uh, approach considering that I know the one of the, the quotes that you uh, used uh, in the, the release was uh, even before the current situation the world was going to hell in a handbasket why not make the best of it hell is my happy place right <laughs> <laughs> that uh, why why is hell your happy place well I think because I uh, have the authorship of it so for me it's not it's not as dire as it's been portrayed, it's still not necessarily fun for the people who are living there, but for me, or I should say after living there. Um, but since mine is a comical approach, uh, it just for me was happy because it's a chance to draw funny little demons and weird uh, sort of slapsticky situations. And, you know, it's, it's it's not the miserable, miserable version of hell. It's the comedically miserable version of hell. So for me, that's for me, that's fun. Uh, what what would you say are the touchstones uh, for what you're doing with uh, Dottie's Inferno? Because uh, when I read the uh, initial release, uh, I instantly had visions of uh, of Beetlejuice. Uh, of the that that kind of uh, the, the 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 section when they go into the administration of the afterlife. Uh, That's interesting. I mean, yeah. What was your personal touch points of uh, what you were wanting to do with the book? Well, I mean, I think it's it's very on brand for me to take extraordinary things and try to kind of bring them down to a very relatable, very quotidian kind of presentation. Years ago, I did a Hellboy story for Hellboy Weird Tales. And, you know, those were things where you got to write whatever you wanted, pretty much. And in my story, Hellboy battled a vending machine that took his money. Because um, to me, that's that's a foe that he couldn't beat with his fists. It was but it was also relatable. Everybody's put money into a vending machine and not gotten what they wanted at some point in their life. Uh, I did a Star Wars story years ago about uh, Jawas, and it was about selling extended warranties for the for the droids. So <laughs> it's it's kind of something, I don't know what this says about me, but I like things where they're a weird, fantastical thing but made relatable. So that's kind of what I wanted to do with the way I portrayed hell is I think it's very relatable. I mean, Dottie is in hell. You've got demons, you've got all kinds of things, but she does work in an office. She has to do errands. Um, you know, one story is about her uh, basically just having a headache on the job and, and going off to a pharmacy. And then of course it turns into a crazy psychedelic trip but these are all things where I think it's their their relatable insertion points for the reader. So, uh, and I think that's just kind of my my approach to this kind of thing is how can you slot yourself into a bizarre scenario? Yeah, 
I mean, uh, another one of the touch points I went to is uh, one of my uh, favorite writers, which is Robert Rankin. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, um, but he's somebody that uh, yeah does a very similar thing where he kind of uh, has that kind of, uh, I'm not going to say pedestrian, but um, a relatable uh, real world kind of scenario, but then just transposes it into or has the uh, the protagonists find themselves uh, in a uh, fantastical kind of uh, scenario. So I, 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 that was another kind of uh, uh, touch point just from reading what I uh, uh, saw of it. Well, Why... not... oh, sorry. No, no, carry on. Oh, You're no, the I, I, I was, uh, uh, well, it's, as a guest, it's my right to step all over your words. Now, I don't want to be oh, rude, um, <laughs> but just to, to, to kind of, I think put it in perspective, my, my favorite writer is Philip K. Dick. And the thing about his work above all other sci-fi is, for me, was the fact that, again, he wrote very relatable protagonists because they weren't space soldiers or scientists or this or that. They were usually some schmuck who worked in a typewriter repair shop or, mm -hmm. you know, they were all these people who had major events thrust upon them, but never were seeking them out themselves. You know, there's no, nobody's looking for glory in a, in a Philip K. Dick book. They're just trying to survive the onslaught yeah. of misery that's, that he, as the sadist he was, would dump all over them. So I think that's, that, that's kind of where my head's at too, so. Fair enough. Yeah, and, and the, the third one, uh, Touchstone, which I'm going to just bring up just uh, before we move on, um, was uh, Brazil. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, another yeah, favorite. Another, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm guessing there was that, what is it about administration <laughs> that just kind of like seems like an absolute nightmare for you? Well, I think it's just probably, it's the sameness of it. You know exactly what's going to happen every single day. You know, you're, you're cataloging, you're filing, you're, you're, you're administering. I mean, it's right there. You're in administration, you're administering. You're, you're, you have a very kind of proscribed life. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's again, that's also where it's was having fun with Dottie is, on the surface, it would seem that's what she has, but she spends all of maybe six panels in the entire book at her desk, because that would be very boring for the readers to see her actually doing her job. It's all about her being away from her job that makes the stories hopefully fun and interesting for the readers, so. Fair enough. Why a call girl? Um, well, that's a good question. <laughs> I think I would have a better answer than a, a really slotted and ready to ready to go. Um, I wanted, well, for her origin story, I wanted her to be in a situation, in a way, the most hellish situation for her is her origin story of how she died, um, where I wanted to show right away that she could outwit a bad situation because she's a smart character and you know the thing about her is she's she's got a good attitude about things um but her yeah her death story is her her uh 
her pimp sends her to meet with a single client and it turns out to be a hotel room full of men and she does not want to do that so she ends up outwitting them in a very again kind of comical strange way uh but then she as she's outwitted them when she leaves she slips in a drunk's vomit and breaks her neck um so okay it's uh I, some people are either saying i have to read this book or or now the other people listening are saying i don't want to read this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> i um, don't know because it, it shows um that she's somebody who lives on a wits um that she's uh she, she uh, keeps um uh, sort of her, her eyes open even if it's not down <laughs> when uh, there's a pool of drunks vomit that uh, happens to be uh, lying around. Um, I'm guessing it's that kind of um, sort of uh, awareness and uh, self-awareness, uh, which kind of uh, keeps her um, propelled through um, the inferno, as it were. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. She, you know, she, she's been dealt a hand and she's dealing with it. Um, uh, pretty much as she would in life, you know, it's just she she very much goes about her business, keeps her head up or down if she needs to. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I wanted to to portray someone who the thing is, you know, this is and it's even discussed right in the prologue of the book. She doesn't belong in hell. She's not a bad person. She never did anyone any harm. It's all about those those pesky rules of of what gets you into heaven and gets you into hell. And just by the sheer nature of her, and I think actually now I'm answering my own or answering your question, just by the nature of her having been a sex worker is why she's in hell, even though she never, never heard a soul. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, I, I'm really curious as to uh, the, the relationship then with uh, heavy metal and also with um, the virus imprint. Why was heavy metal the, uh, the, the home uh, for this particular book. Um, what made it the perfect fit? Well, I mean, in in a in a huge part, it would be my love affair with that magazine since its inception. Sure. I mean, this is where I'm you know I'm dating myself, uh, but that magazine debuted uh, 1977. It was a big year between Star Wars and heavy metal. Uh, two extremely pivotal things within weeks of each other uh, came out. And so Heavy Metal debuted when I was in junior high school, and it cha literally changed my life. Seeing, because I was never a superhero kid, I, I was more of a Mad Magazine and humor comics kind of kid, and so superheroes just didn't really pull me in. But when heavy metal came out and I saw all the amazing work being done by all of those European artists, you know, Mobius and Tardy and the list goes on and on. And of course, and sure. here's where I'll lift my coffee and toast the memory of the great Richard Corbin. Okay. He was not European, but uh, rest in peace, Richard, uh, one of my absolute all time heroes. Uh, but when I saw their work, that really clarified for me what I wanted to do with my life creatively because I saw the potential there that I had never seen for comics before. These things that were the most 
incredibly drawn I'd ever seen. I mean, you know, at that age, story was secondary, and I just was carried along by how beautiful, particularly Mobius. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, so, you know, basically when heavy metal came along, that suddenly became one of those, I am going to work for this magazine. This magazine is going to publish my work uh, goals. And so, you know, fast forward, um, I guess 12 years, 11 years, maybe, I don't know. But I started having my work appear in heavy metal, I think in 1988. Uh, and, you know, it was sporadic, but it was, that felt like such a benediction, you know, it was kind of like, I'm in heavy metal, I must be kind of okay at what I'm doing. And, you know, that's, so keeping that relationship, I mean, it, it I kind of disappeared from its pages for many years, but um, it was always the plan to get back in there. And uh, Dottie seemed like a good fit to have because they were self-contained, but building towards something bigger. And so when uh, it really became clear that I wanted to to do a book. It, they were they were the choice, you know. They'd already run a couple of the stories in the magazine, and so I said to them, "Would you would you be interested in doing the collection?" And that was right around when Virus was just, I guess, being conceptualized because I didn't know where it would, whether it would be under the heavy metal imprint or, but uh, it just seemed like the only home it was it was not just a good home but that's where i that's where i needed it to be so unfortunately uh they were receptive and so what 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 was the uh, reaction when you told them the elevator pitch uh as uh, as you described it well it, i mean i didn't really have to do that because at that point i uh, some of the stories were already done so i got to just submit the stories and you know that way they could see whether they either liked it or or didn't like it uh fortunately they did um because originally the stories uh in a somewhat different form uh were done for a french comics magazine um and uh they're a little saucier in the French one. That was actually, <laughs> that was part of the, um, there was an obligatory, I don't know if you've ever seen the old Harvey Kurtzman uh, comic, uh, Little Annie Fanny, that yeah, yeah, he and yeah. Will Elder had done for Playboy. But there was a certain, you know, at, especially in the later years, uh, there was an obligatory, uh, she always had to end up having sex with somebody. And that was kind of the way it was with the French version of Dottie. And I, that wasn't quite where my head was at. That was fulfilling the, the obligation of the magazine. Yeah. Um, so the, the ones that are actually uh, collected in the book were, were revised because to me it was funnier and more interesting if she doesn't. You know, that's in a way it feels predictable, especially what she was in life. You think, oh, okay, here it comes. And no, it doesn't. You know, it's it's not about that. The other thing, the other thing with the with the book was there is copious nudity in it, but it's not about sex. You know, I yeah. think this is especially it's that weird 
kind of America, the, the puritanical roots of America. We've never gotten past them. And there's this conflation of nudity equals sex. To me, nudity equals perdition. You know, that's part of the punishment. You know, when you look at uh, great paintings of hell, uh, everyone's basically running around uh, or roasting uh, nude. So that was one of the traditions I kept. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, I think it's a book about subverting expectations from hopefully from the readers. Well, I think that's what you get from heavy metal across the board. I mean, I, I always find it interesting hearing about uh, uh, American creators' relationship with heavy metal. It's almost like um, the the books that um, or the uh, the ways that they were able to get books published uh, in the in the states. The only way that they could kind of um, get around, the, like you say, the the, the superhero and the the, the the normal way of uh, doing comics or telling comic stories. The other the other ways that you could do it was go for the West Coast Underground or heavy metal and kind of find a, a, a way of um, uh, stretching the boundaries and heading into, like you say, different territories, uh, uh, adult themes, uh, by kind of almost sneaking under the radar and heading towards... Uh, where, where, what heavy metal was doing. Uh, we've got yeah. a couple of people who've gotten some uh, questions in already. We've got uh, Henry uh, Barajaris. Uh, oh. there, Henry. Hey, Henry. I know Henry. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, although he does ask a question, and I'm curious to know what your answer is. Uh, do you belong in hang up hell, Fingerman? Probably. Do you, do you belong <laughs> in hell? Well, if it's my version of hell, yes. If it's the traditional version, no. I don't think uh, I don't think I've done anything that really would warrant my getting sent there. But by by my own rules, I would end up there. Uh, I think just you know, again, if you go with with sort of the codified stuff of impure thoughts or this and that, then yeah, I mean, I've been paving my way to hell forever. But thoughts, thoughts, yes. Deeds, not so much. <laughs> and what what would your role be in hell? Uh, if you can imagine, would you be as part of the administration or would you find yourself? I, I think so. Yeah, I'd probably be cleaning toilets in the men's room there or something. <laughs> I, can't, I don't think I would be like on a rack being stretched for eternity or red hot pokers or anything that. But it would probably be something uh, demeaning and, uh, yeah, rote. Yeah. Um what virus is doing is, um, as you've described, in, in case anyone's watching and perhaps uh, missed some of the earlier uh, virus conversations that we had, um, mm -hmm. it is about um, they, they're taking complete stories or they're, they're taking, they're not editorializing at all to uh, uh, any degree. They're, they're kind of accepting um, stories uh, to print. Um, which kind of asks the question then, how far would you want to continue Dottie's uh, stories uh, in uh, future um, uh, episodes? I would love to, I would you know, the thing is I would like to broaden out the landscape of hell. You know, uh, Dottie is the principal story, but then there are also some uh, backup stories in the book of these two uh, sewer workers named Ralph and Borax, who are just a couple of demons. Because the other thing I wanted to show is that hell is just as punishing for the people that, or the demons that work there as the uh, souls in perdition. You know, it's, uh, so there's a lot more stuff I'd like to do with hell. I mean, that's the thing about hell is it's an infinite landscape. Um, 
Uh, so yeah, I've got, I'd love to do more Dottie stories and more Ralph and Borak stories and some of the other characters. There's, there's a character who has a little, uh, appearance in one of the stories who's a butcher kind of modeled on Ernest Borgnine. And I wanted to do some stories about his life and yeah, there's, there's just a lot I'd like to do with it. Excellent. And I mean, is there other projects that you would, uh, like to bring to heavy metal, uh, are you somebody that um, likes to have different stories percolating at the same time, or are you somebody that likes to focus on a specific project at a time and kind of muscle on and uh, uh, get that done? I, I like to have usually a few things going at once, uh, partly because if you get a little sort of stalled on one, you can shift to another rather than just being stalled. So... Um, you know, right now I'm I'm currently working on on a few things. Some of them are just writing projects because those are just as important to me as as comics. Um, I'm try. I, I did not talk with Matt before this. Uh, whether whether I'm at liberty to talk about this or not. So well, he's he's not here now. So well, maybe we'll wait. I mean, if if I'm if I'm still going to be on when he's on, then we can maybe talk about one of the coming projects. Uh, but I'm not, like I say, I'm not sure if I'm at liberty, but I, but I do have more things in the pipeline. I can say more. There is more in the pipeline with heavy metal, uh, very, of a very different, uh, nature. So, uh, and the, uh, uh certainly with uh, what I'm looking forward, I mean, like I say, we've got, um, this book that's coming from, uh, from under the virus imprint, but you've also managed to, uh, rope in some, uh, really high profile names. Uh, to do pinup style art uh, for for the book, yeah, I'm uh, quite shameless about that. <laughs> tell me about it. Uh, I mean, uh, Howard Shakin, Dave Johnson, Mike Mignola, Dan Panosian, Bill Sienkiewicz. Um That's a hell of a roster of demons right there uh, to uh, to do uh, the artwork. Uh, I mean, with these people that you called on, friends and uh, colleagues, or uh, were they kind of knocking on your door to uh, to do some uh, work for the book. <laughs> no, no, nobody was knocking on my door. Um, <laughs> but they but they're all friends and and they're all very generous friends. So they were very generous with their uh, with their talents there. Um, yeah, I mean, it was as simple as that. It was just I mean, this is one of those things where it's like uh, they're friends of mine, but I am a friend and fan or admirer of of them so you know what's in a way what's more uh I, it's how do you say this without it sounding like like just wanting your ego it's not about that it's just it's so much fun to see their interpretations of my characters you know uh i i used to do a book called minimum wage and one of the features of minimum wage, and I don't even remember where this idea popped in my head, was to get people to do these, you know, quote unquote pinups. I don't think anyone's actually razoring them out of the book and pinning them up. But, um, you know, and I had, again, it was this, this rogues gallery of incredible talent that was very generous about contributing uh, behind me over my head there, right about oh, where my finger is. That's a Kevin Nolan back cover for uh, minimum wage. And um, so, yeah, over the years, I've just been very lucky about getting, 
incredible people to be generous with drawing their versions of of my humble little characters. So it's great. I mean, it's to me, it's just fun. And hopefully, I think it is, but hopefully it's fun for uh, the readers. Absolutely. I tried zooming in so people could actually see the, uh, I soloed you on screen, at which point I noticed my branding was completely covering it. So I was clicking buttons just to try and get the branding off so people could actually see the Kevin Nolan in the, in, in the background. I'll send you a JPEG for your, for your, for your purposes later. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Um, the, this year has been uh, a trying year. Um, and certainly a question that I've been asking uh, creators over the course of uh, the, the summer is how they have been affected uh, and their, how their work has been affected. Uh, not only just on a, a print, a pr a, that level of actually knuckling down and getting the work done and powering through the, the stresses of the year, but also how you feel that your work can, uh, can and would be affected by the uh, events of 2020. Um, in putting this book together, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the timeline has been of uh, how long you've been working on the book and how your perspective of it has changed because we are seeing numerous demons running amok uh, in 2020 uh, in real life. Um, I'm just curious how your own work, uh, you feel, may be affected by the year. Yeah, I mean, I can't help but feel that, uh, I, I, well, you know, just the whole hell is my happy place thing says a lot about the, the current state of the world, uh, that uh, retreating into uh, perdition would somehow seem a more pleasant prospect. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, 2020 is just to me it's sort of the 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 finale of what i think has been four extremely trying years uh yeah. you know i didn't want to bring politics into this but uh the spectacle of not just trump but the everything that Ed, the, the every, administration has brought to the surface you know these are these are things there's a lot of things that are in play that clearly were roiling under the surface before they became emboldened enough to become part of of life but you know when you when you throw in trump you throw in this qAnon stuff you throw in the pandemic you know it's just so many things that have been very trying to deal with if you're you know especially if you're someone like me and that this is not necessarily a good thing but i've been a news junkie for many many years and it's i have really learned in the last few years in particular that uh i think i finally understand the ignorance is bliss uh cliche because yeah. being well informed is not a blissful thing you know you, it's it's very dispiriting um so i'm sure it has layered itself into my work in ways that maybe will be clearer as time moves on. It's hard to say, you know, some of it is retreating away from reality. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into my little fantasy world and play with my little fantasy characters and all that. But 
I bet there are underpinnings that I'm not even aware of, just things yeah. that are a little bit opaque to me. I think I'm a fairly self-aware creator, but holistically, it's sometimes hard to take in the bigger picture when you're right there. I mean, that's the thing about perspective. It always comes later. So, yeah. you know, there's there's a thing I'm work I'm working on a new uh, graphic novel right now, which is very different. And I've always in my work kept topical stuff out of the work because it dates, you know, it right. dates very quickly. Um, but there's there's little seasonings of it. Um, you know, it's a book that uh, is set in 2018. So that way I can have it be pre-2020, but still there are little, little glimmerings of kind of the mindset, at least of, the, sure. of a certain kind of character. Um, that's a story where two of the characters are, they're pretty much freshly out of university. They're maybe 22, 23 year olds. And so, you know, they're the, they're at that age where they're kind of trying to shelter themselves from dwelling too much on reality, but it's, it's creeping in and they're not happy about it. Uh, yeah. but even there, you know, I'm not putting anything that by the time the book sees print, people will be saying, I barely remember that, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, to be fair, we've got a comment which um, kind of sums up a, a lot of feelings, certainly for myself. And it's not just religious people. Uh, Solicitor Smeg is uh, saying, I need a hell is a happy, hell is my happy place t-shirt for when re religious people knock on my door. Um, I think uh, hell is my happy place it could be summed up for uh, not just religion, but uh, a whole bunch. Uh, a lot of the demons are running amok and... Uh, uh, hopefully we can find solace in stories like Dottie's Inferno. Um, you were saying or you're wondering if uh, we could get some kind of uh, um, uh, talking about another project that you were thinking uh, of, of uh, uh, or you are doing with uh, Heavy Metal and the only person that we can get any kind of uh, permission from is Matthew Medney who is now joining us. Hello there Matthew, how the devil are you sir? Hey what's up guys, how you doing? Hey Bob. Hi, I will let Bob ask the question of Matthew whether it's okay to talk about this project. Oh, oh. Talk yeah, I, I wasn't sure if I was at liberty to say what's you know what's in the pipeline for 2021. So you can you can talk away as much as you'd like. Oh, fantastic! All right, well, in that case, um, yeah, I'm very excited that a revised edition of one of my novels will be coming back into print via uh, Heavy Metal's new prose line. So that's oh, wow. exciting. Uh, my novel Pariah, uh, which I've had 10 years to really think about all the things that I could do to make it even better than it was. And so now I'm in the process of, of doing substantial revisions for what will be a uh, truly author approved edition Oh, fantastic. Excellent stuff. So uh, I don't know if that's breaking news, uh, but... Uh, yeah, you heard it here first. Heard it here first. That's heard fantastic. Here. Excellent stuff. Uh, well, looking forward to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to um, reading uh, Dottie's Inferno. 
if anything, because like I say, uh, if it comes from anywhere uh, near the the touch points which I mentioned earlier, uh, I, it's going to be in my uh, ballpark. Uh, I'm very much uh, interested in uh, seeing what's going to be coming up. Um, Chris Longo uh, is uh, joining us. He's now putting exclamation marks on the screen. He's just going, "Oh right, okay." So you could have warned him, I suspect. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, Andrew English is also uh, stating, so we're getting a director's cut of uh, Prior. So that, that's... Uh, yes, indeed. Absolutely. That's a, good, and that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And Clyde Nee is joining us as well. Love heavy metal. Looking uh, looking forward to new books. Uh, always uh, great to have uh, Clyde joining us. Uh, excellent stuff. So there we go. Um, Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you so much indeed for coming on. And like I say, um, looking forward to uh, Doss's Inferno. And here's to uh, all of the success that comes with it. Yes, thank you so much. Excellent stuff. Cheers. Enjoy the, enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Will do. Excellent. Later, Bob. So there you go. Um, a bit of news there for uh, anyone who's watching. And um, uh, to be fair, it's kind of in keeping uh, when it comes to uh, to heavy metal, uh, because what you're doing with heavy metal is just been remarkable over the last year, year and a half. Um, the uh, certainly for myself, it was it it started when you're the editorial hires uh, with the um, announcement of virus and just the the energy that's coming out of the magazine right now uh, is just absolutely phenomenal. So it's a pleasure to have you joining us. Uh, for everyone who's for everyone who's perhaps not familiar, this is the CEO of uh, Heavy Metal Magazine, Matthew Medney. Now it's got to be said um, when we were first introduced on uh, by email, it was Matt Medney. So I, I don't want to slip up and because I don't want to with me. Fair enough, because I get people calling me Lenny or Len and it, it's Leonard. So I, I, I always get to, just to make sure. But there we go. Excellent. You, so Matthew calling me Medney anyway. So Matt <laughs> fine. Fair enough. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you joining us. Um, I asked the questions of Bob and uh, will ask the questions of yourself because these are the three that I've been starting my interviews with uh, throughout the course of this run of uh, Talking Con. Um, number one, because it is a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My cup of tea is now starting, to, his has gone cold, but it's still there. I have um, my chai latte in, in honor. There you go. So you have your beverage, excellent stuff. Um, the second question is your uh, memory of your first Comic-Con uh, and it, whether it was a, as a pro or as a fan. It was definitely as a fan, uh, New York Comic-Con. I grew up in Manhattan in Stuyvesant Town on the Lower East Side. So I've been uh, to many a New York Comic-Con. I actually haven't been to San Diego Comic-Con yet. This was going to be my first year uh, running the heavy metal table, which was going to be so exciting. And just getting pushed off a year. It's just like a uh, you know an astronaut being told to abort right before his first flight. So I'm I'm, I'm yeah. equally as excited for uh, for San Diego next year. But uh, New York, it, it's a um, it's a jungle of inspiration. That that's really yeah. when I was there. The Javits Center is just so perfectly designed to hold you know all of us in this like you know, conundrum of a Tetris board that is the Javits Center. If been there. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was scheduled to go. Um, I keep getting asked by the guys from Repop to go across, and I was scheduled to go um, last year, 
except the company that uh, I'd booked my flights with uh, managed to go under uh, exactly seven days prior to my flight. So Fantastic. Um, that that that's fate and destiny telling me that uh, New York Comic Con was not on my uh, on my cards that particular year. And uh, question number three is about those idols and those uh, influences that you have gotten to meet at conventions over the years. Uh, those ones that were those memorable moments where perhaps uh, you have lost the will to talk uh, incoherent sen sentences with those heroes, those uh, memories of uh, people that you've met at cons? Uh, I would say, you know, in light of this last week, it's less the people I've met at cons and more the people I've met as the CEO of Heavy Metal. And I, you know, have the honor of interviewing Richard Corbin uh, for issue 302 and the you know the unfortunate um you know situation with his uh complications with his heart surgery you know m really made me reflect what um you know what what it was like to talk to someone like that to talk to someone of that you know gift you know he was he was touched by another power with the way that he saw art and the way that he saw creative and all that, um, all of that was just, uh, you know, incredible to interview him for issue 301 when we were wrapping up Murky World, which was his, you know, latest run in the magazine. So, you know, for me, I, I think I think that would be the uh, the one that that sticks with me the most, especially now. Yeah, excellent stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, what I really was touched by was just the the plethora of. Um, uh, of support and um, tributes that uh, poured out um, very much loved and um, uh, someone who yeah we're going to uh, to miss um, heavy metal magazine like I said is one that has picked up so much energy over the last year and a half um, and then it coincides with 2020 uh, and the events of this year um, but you've barreled on through um, you've like I say the the releases that you've brought out with virus um the, uh, the 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 talent pool that you've pulled in to uh, to uh, to bring books out what was your thinking when the industry started to shift and change and comic bookshops were closing and the market was uh, shifting under everyone's feet this year what was your thoughts on how heavy metal was going to uh, to weather the storm as it were yeah back in march april when it started becoming apparent that this wasn't going to be a couple of weeks that it was going to be you know something bigger and even then you know we could never have imagined what it is today but i held pretty tight from day one that we couldn't allow a company as small and as nimble and you know where every dollar matters um to be affected by something like this we would have to adapt we couldn't you know pull back and wait it out it was more it was always about how do we charge ahead with a new tactic rather than how do we retreat and hold so that was always a you know a, a thought from the beginning and for me it was you know the pandemic meant one main thing people are going to need more content and as the you know tv and film production started 
getting put on hold. And as other things started becoming harder and harder to do because of the situation, you know, the, the silver lining or the, the, um, the blessing of the industry that we're in is that everything is done with a zero point failure is what I like to call it. Every aspect of a comic book is done by people that are never in the same place. So our the ability to produce a book hasn't changed. Just the ability to get it out to people has changed. So we've just been focusing on our e-commerce and growing that and growing the ability for somebody to buy a book on our website and then I'll ship it directly to them to combat the store issues or you know looking for you know, better digital solutions if someone just wants to read rather than hold it. But it was, it's always been, and, and between myself and Chris Longo and David Irwin, our chief creative overlord, um, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, come on, we're heavy metal. You can't have officers. You need a chief creative overlord. Uh, and if just it's just the way it is. <laughs> and um, We've all of us have always been so aligned on the idea that it's full steam ahead and find solutions, not band-aid problems. That makes sense. Um, I think the other thing that's kind of really excited me as well about uh, the what heavy metal has been doing is, um, as well as uh, respecting and honouring the uh, the talents that uh, have made heavy metal what it is uh, over its uh, long legacy you're embracing stories and storytellers which are doing some really exciting things uh brand new talent and uh, bringing them into the fold so it's a, a real kind of um a, a hand holding of the, the the two eras of uh, of heavy metal. very important to us right uh, absolutely uh, and, uh, oh, oh no i was just gonna say it's so great that that you that you see that because that that's something that you know we hold really dear to us is you know we don't want to shock our fan base um, in a way that you know we're not paying respect. Yeah, yeah. you're not you're not throwing cold water over them and just saying and we're, you know we're just starting afresh. It's very much it's it's almost like. Um, taking an, a, an old classic, the, the, the car out of the garage and stripping it down and putting a, a, a nice clean engine on it and uh, putting a new, a new paint job on it and giving it a real boost of life. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes with that you need a new engine, but sometimes you just need to make the thing that happened, that got you there, just look nicer again, right? So, you know, that's why we bring Frazetta and his art back and, you know, his covers start the next year and we wow. brought, you know, um, uh, Glenn Fabry back and he did a cover for 300 and you know we have the Corbin uh, that was running up until 301 and you know we were going to do more but obviously you know life comes and uh, but with all of that you know bringing in other creators from you know that are still operating today but grew their you know their legacy in the 90s and 2000s between the Bart Sears and the uh, Ron Mars and the Christopher Priests and then bring in even newer generations that are making their name now, like the Steve Orlandos and the Blake Northcotts and the Brendan Columbuses and the Dylan Sprouses and the Dan Foglers. And, you know, it's really important to us that we, you know, look at the different, you know, periods of time and find the people that meant something to people in those times and, you know, cultivating them together as our new, you know, creative arm at Heavy Metal. Sure. Uh 
when virus got announced uh, i mean that for me was one of the most exciting elements of it because it was another uh, avenue for you to tell heavy metal stories um and also now uh, finding out uh, that you're doing prose novels uh, starting off with uh, your own title uh, which is uh, exciting stuff um what were the conversations uh, like when it came to putting these um, extended arms to the heavy metal magazine? Because obviously you would want you like we talk about the uh, the sprucing up of the old uh, engine and keeping that uh, nicely running. That would be enough for uh, a company to focus on getting that at, you know sweet as a nut. But then to also branch out and do these uh, other elements, uh, what were the conversations like in making sure that those uh, were serviced as well as the the core title? It's a great, it's a great, great question. Um, okay. Oh, um, real quick, Leonard, I'm getting texts from a few friends saying that the YouTube stream stopped. Uh, yes, um, we have ourselves the first half an hour. I, I actually put it on Twitter, and I did mention it to Chris. The first half is um, uh, is public, and then we continue it for the Patreon supporters. We upload the whole thing on Wednesday. Oh, I love it! Hello, Patreon supporters. There we are. <laughs> it, 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 because because I am not a creator myself, I cannot draw. I cannot write uh, to any degree. Um, this is kind of my way of uh, saying thank you to my Patreon supporters by giving them the full episode, and then we upload the whole thing on Wednesday you know, for uh, for everybody else. I love it. No, well, no. continue supporting Leonard at Englishman, FDCC. <laughs> Thank but, you. Um, but, but back to your point, and, and I have a, a copy of my my novel here, which is Beyond yeah. And, you know, the irony of the whole thing is I, start, I started writing this five years ago with uh, my best friend, John Connolly, who's a aerospace engineer at Lockheed Martin. And, you know, when we started writing this, the idea was to write the most scientifically accurate far future space adventure you can. So it, it took years to research and develop technologies that would, you know, adhere to current day scientific journals with reasonable assumptions of how they would scale up in the coming decades. And, I always thought, and I'm always a visual person, and I always like to, you know, make a, uh, you know, a statement that I like to write the thousand words of a photo. So I always get <laughs> to have art in my books, even before heavy metal. So when I was producing the book before I took the, the role, it almost felt like it was too perfect not to do it as a heavy metal book. And then, you know, creators like Blake Northcott and Bob Fingerman start telling me that they have prose novels that they would love to you know, bring to the world through heavy metal. And I was like, this, this is just another medium for people who like this type of content to experience it in. And I was like, have to go for it. And same thing with virus and all of our, you know, subsections of uh, content. It's about, you know, trying a lot of things very quickly and seeing what works and then doubling down on those. And, you know, a great company is one that takes risks and assesses their success and then moves in the correct direction as quickly as possible. And I think that's what we've been doing since I took over. And with, with Kuiper, you know, what, what was cool is we've been getting a lot of praise about the 
validity of science. Screen Rant said it's the most scientifically accurate spaceship ever in a science fiction novel. Um, and we've had some other, you know, really great feedback on it. And to me, that's what I cared about, right? I cared about the science because there's too many stories out there that are trying to help us understand how and where we can go, but don't take into consideration the realities of what that is. You know, like the Jetsons, great story, but we don't have flying Corvettes and we never will. Um, and and just taking... I'm still waiting for my jetpack. Uh, something's, gone, something's gone horribly wrong that where my jetpack has not been delivered in the post. But Bubba Fett has it over in The Mandalorian. What the hell? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's... Um, Prose books have always been a um, uh, a great a great um, passion of mine. You know, I was a huge J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter fan growing up. You know, just the I would listen to the books by Jim Dale, and you know, I'd see the movies before Chris Columbus ever made them. And that to me is like where creativity thrives is when you can read words and see the art, right? You don't need the art to see it. And while graphic novels are incredible and I love them and comics are even better, you know, there, there is a place for great prose that, you know, touch the worlds that we do, which is science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And if you go back and research the magazine, we had tons of short prose stories in the late seventies, early eighties, um, not just interviews, but, you know, stories that were prose. And, you know, I'm going back to what we were saying before. It's not that I'm necessarily trying anything that heavy metal hasn't done. I'm just bringing back things that we used to do that I feel passionate about. Absolutely. Uh, I find it interesting that the conversation that we've had so far, I mean, we had Bob Fingerman talking about uh, Philip K. Dick uh, and that kind of, uh, that sense of... uh, the, the science fiction which deals with the everyman. Uh, and then you have yours, which is um, uh, Alfred Bester, which is uh, a, very, a, a, a name that came up in another interview which you did about uh, this this project. Um, and I find it interesting that it's touching on those two very interesting uh, sci-fi writers which uh, were definitely uh, dealing with pushing the boundaries of um, how uh, technology and science affect society. Um, I, I, I would uh, add Gene Roddenberry to that because we, um, you know, I always talk about how Gene was massively influential to me with how he took real world political conundrums and issues and turned them into science fiction story arcs. And the one that I always ta- tell at every interview is with. Uh, Captain Kirk in the original Star Trek, where he's the ambassador mediator between the left, white, right, black, and the left, black, right, white face people, and how he has to tell them that they're the same and that these people all need to figure out a way to work together. And, it, and it's an episode that came out during the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King. And that always, to me, was the you know epitome of what science fiction can do, which is take a real problem that people have a really hard time conversing about remove the humanity and tell it in another light to help people understand the gravity of the issue and then figure out a new way for them to you know debate and have conversation about the topic and that's what that's what I think we did really well in Kuiper you know aside from the science which is my nerdism I think that we you know tackle some really interesting political forks 
that we're having in society today. And we do it through alien races and a one world government called the World Council. And when you read it, you start thinking about these things that are holding up our society today and how we can solve them. And, you know, a great, a great book or story isn't one that answers those questions, but it helps you pose the right ones to have conversation about. Good point. Uh, I mean, let, I mean, just so that uh, we're kind of uh, talking about the book instead of actually or skirting around the actual topic of the book and uh, what the, the book's about, because uh, um, it's actually it's an, a number of projects uh, all under the banner of uh, uh, Beyond Kuiper. Because uh, we've got um, uh, the the prose novel itself, we've got um, uh, the uh, Darkwing series as well, which I is part, understand it's part of the same universe. It's a part of the same universe. You know, the best yep. way to put it is Darkwing is like our Guardians of the Galaxy. It's in a different oh, part. It's, uh, it has its own story arc, its own characters, and there will be at some point in the future where they all converge. But right now, they take on their own uh, stories. They're, they're happening almost simultaneously. The, the people of the Darkwing are the quails that live on the planet of Tiberius. And, you know, Captain Benedict Gunn is piloting this planet ship across the stars trying to find a new solar system for the planet to park at because a black hole ate its sun. Of course, as, as it is. Um, and then we've got the audiobook as well. So we've got uh, a whole bunch of different uh, uh, ways that people can uh, enjoy the story or yeah. uh, in, uh, in take it on board. Um, if you can give us a bit of an overview of Beyond Kuiper then, because uh, I've read the first half of the book, and I mean, it rips along at a, 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 an incredible pace. It's a, a really fast-paced book. It reads incredibly well. But if you can give people a kind of uh, an overview of Beyond Kuiper. Yeah. Um, for those that may have heard of it, there's a ring of asteroids around our solar system called the Kuiper Belt. And it uh, lays right outside of Neptune. It's actually where Pluto and other protoplanets um, live and they orbit in a circular fashion around our solar system, almost encapsulizing it. And astrophysicists and scientists in our world call it almost the first line of defense for Earth. As interstellar objects come hurling through space towards us, they have to go through the Kuiper Belt. And as they do that, they break up and become smaller and typically fall into the uh, gravity of one of the gas giants before it even comes close to Earth to do any harm. And John and I came up with a simple notion that what if the Kuiper Belt was actually a military installation by the Galactic Star Alliance used to quarantine all solar systems that have life that's too hostile to interact with the rest of the galaxy. And that's the impetus for the whole story. And in the first few pages, a catastrophe happens at CERN, which is the leading particle, physic, uh, particle physics accelerator on Earth and leaves one survivor, this astrophysicist Bernard William Huber. And he believes that it has to be extraterrestrial life that would have caused such a malfunction of the antimatter containment. And the rest of the world thinks he's crazy. So our journey is through Bernard on Earth trying to prove that this is not of this Earth and paving the road to redemption for his family's name his name and his scientific place in history. Because before this incident, 
he was revered in the same breath as a Carl Sagan, a Neil deGrasse, a Stephen Hawking, and now he's tarnished and disgraced. He's climbing his way back to the top. Transversely, we follow the story of the Galactic Star Lines and our uh, two primes that run part of the government, uh, Crux Tuxkinbor and Pius Abicrine. And the antimatter containment that happened on Earth was due to an attack of the Kuiper Belt. And what terrorist organization was trying to do that, intergalactic terrorist organization that was trying to do that, and what was their motives, and f figuring that out, and understanding the ramifications of what that will mean later on, and we follow that story. And the two of them start converging very slowly, and that's what the whole series is about, is what's going to happen when these two points start coming closer and closer into one cohesive story. Yeah. I, I mean, the one thing that kind of struck me, like I say, um, I've read the first half, and uh, it, it was the fact that you started with the, or you, the first chapter is the, the incident at CERN, but then the second chapter is diving straight into uh, the Galactic Star Empire and uh, really uh, inv investigating and uh, talking about the, that uh, lay of the land. And you have to, it's, it's quite an info dump <laughs> from uh, that, uh, the first initial chapters. It's, it's, it's a lot to take in. But because of the way that the, you've, you've woven the stories, and like you say, that kind of divergence, of uh, or convergence of uh, what your the, the storylines, it's it you have to really kind of uh, think very much on your feet to kind of uh, keep it all in your head as it's all starting to come in together. But then I like I say we had the first half of this conversation with Bob Fingerman, who managed to uh, uh, scale down his story into about a twenty second uh, <laughs> elevator pitch, which begs the question then the is that the joy of heavy metal magazine that you can have very uh, different and varying approaches of story uh, under the same banner of heavy metal, but what makes them a heavy metal story? Would you say? Yeah, I think, you know, the fact that Dotties and Kuiper can live in the same publication is, is the joy of heavy metal. And, you know, what makes it heavy metal is really simple is did it go farther than it would have gone published somewhere else? Did the creator give themselves the right to take it to the place that they've always wanted to, but maybe another publisher or that they were self-publishing it, they didn't have the ability to or the confidence to. And you know that that's the one thing that I preach at Heavy Metal. Whether it's with a new creator, an old creator, it's whatever you think is the most incredible, most horrific, most crazy thing that you think of times that by 10 and then that's what i want you to write and i think that to me is the essence of heavy metal is really just taking it that step further and not only in the art and not only in the words but in the execution of what it is like you want you want hell with a hot you know girl and a cartoon written by you know one of the most prolific cartoonists there are you get that at heavy metal you don't get that anywhere else sure um, and also the fact that uh, this is a story which is incredibly large, expansive, it's epic. Um, this is obviously something that you've been working on for 
uh, quite some time. What's been the uh, the timeline of putting uh, Beyond Kuiper together? How long has this been kind of percolating in your head? Yeah, so John and I started writing the world in 2015. Um, so it's been it's been a while. Uh, Ut Atkin, uh, our illustrator, who's a godsend, lives out in Turkey, and we've actually never spoken on the phone together. And um, you know, I realized uh, a few weeks ago I did an interview for Publishers Weekly, and as we were talking about it, I realized that the creation of this book is a science fiction tale to a you know H.P. Lovecraft to a, you know, um, Wells or a Roddenberry, the idea that we could create a book with art that's so poignantly specific to the story with somebody on the other side of the planet who doesn't speak the same language as you, <laughs> and you can use a computer machine to talk, that's science fiction, which is so cool. And, um, you know, that took two years to put together you know, I mean, behind me here, you can see these are all the planets of the Galactic Star Alliance. Oh, wow. That's Bernard on Europa. That's the Nomad being built at Outer Limits. Um, and all of these things, you know, were created and designed through Skype and through email and never once on the phone or in person, which is so cool to me when you think about it. Um, and that, that all that art and all that world building took two to three years. And I refused for us to write a page of the novel until we had a ninth grade history class worth of material. Oh, wow. Written. We have over 400 pages in a Google Drive of everything that you could ever want to know about every character. And you could read that document. And once you've read that, you know how our characters are going to react just by reading the setup. You wouldn't even have to finish the chapter. You'll just know how they would act because we've fleshed out the understanding of those characters' modus operandi so deeply and, and you know, overtly that the, the story is less of us creating it and more of us just telling history at this point, which is really fun. And then the audiobook, you know, we did with one of my really close friends, Kyle Perrin, and him and I wrote 22 original records. So that audiobook that has music is original music that him and I wrote for every chapter and then a couple of bonus records. And then he sound designed and mixed and narrated the whole book. And we had George Romero, um, George C. Romero, the son of George A. Romero, and Dylan Sprouse have two fun key characters. And the audio experience is, you know, it's an audio movie. It, it You can close your eyes and you can see the movie. And, you know, that that is my, you know, homage to Jim Dale and the Harry Potter books. Because while those didn't have the sound effects or the, or the music, and that's my creative, you know, expression that I wanted to do that, he did 455 voices across seven books. And wow. You can feel the movie when you listen to those. And that's what I wanted to do with our audio because I want you to feel the movie through your ears. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think also I, I've, I'm part of what I love about comics is uh, the creative uh, collaboration between uh, artist and writer. Uh, how an artist uh, can take a story and uh, help embellish it and. Uh, evolve it and then the writer can bounce off that when uh i'm trying to work out how to pronounce this uh, first is it shemaine 
Herman. 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 I won't say. Pons. Okay. When Herman came on, um, what uh, did he contribute to the story? Uh, what did he uh, bring to your ideas? And how did those uh, kind of evolve and morph uh, going forward? So, I mean, to take that even a step back, um, our managing editor, uh, Ricardo Lanera, is the one who read my initial, um, you know, pitch or chapter for it and knew Herman was the right artist to put on. And, and that's like the, you know, that, that's like uh, if, if there's any baseball fans out there, that's the off the box, uh, uh, off the scorecard, you know, stat that is so undervalued is the editor understanding what artist to pair with the writer. And, you know, I, I at Heavy Metal, even though I write a couple of the stories, I'm, I'm very clear with my team that I'm a writer when I'm writing and not the CEO and you need to manage me just like you'd manage any other writer. And I don't want any special treatment or anything like that. So when Ricardo, you know, brought Herman to the table, uh, it just felt like the perfect fit. It was the type of the right type of art. And then to your point, you know, I don't, I don't write my comics in traditional comic book format. I write screenplays. And to your point, I, I love, you know, when I write my novels, it starts and stops with me or starts and stops with John. There's no, there's no paneling. There's no other person that can help bad writing, right? Or help tell a story better. But when you're doing a graphic novel or a comic, it's a, it's a village. It's a team that comes together yeah. to create this amazing expression of a story. And I, and I hold that pretty true. And I don't want, I, I am not, an artist. I'm a writer. So I like to tell my artists, hey, if you want me to panel these, I will, but I'd much rather give you a screenplay and let you tell me how you see these words. And most of the artists that I work with, be it Herman with Darkwing or a female protagonist story that's coming out next year called The Adventures of Adrian James with Geraldo Borres, both of them like to just get the screenplay and imagine what the panels are themselves. And I, I love giving that, you know, creative liberty to them to have them tell me what they see from the words and all the paneling and all of the way that the story flows is a, you know, a combination of Herman and Ricardo working together to take the words on the page that I give them and turn them into imagery. Uh, when that those images came back to you then, when those pages started uh, coming in, did they make any uh, influence on the story that you uh, felt that you wanted to tell um, in terms of just the tone that they were producing or just the, the way that they were kind of uh, sort of the way, the way that they were expressing your world. Um, that can often kind of trigger and uh, you can spin off and kind of reimagine what your initial concept was. How did the story evolve from that original that germ, that original spark that you had to what you uh, eventually came up with? You know, I think what I was saying before, when you want to have the people that work at heavy metal just dial things up to 10, it wouldn't necessarily be that they changed my thought on any of the words and the way I want the story. They just took the concepts and the words and dialed them up to 10. And, you know, from the way Benedict Gunn looks and how the Darkwing and the sales work. And you know, we spent two months before we even started paneling 
on designing the Darkwing. And I brought John into this also, and he helped me with the orbital mechanics and understand, you know, this is way more fantastical than anything in, in Beyond Kuiper, just in terms of like, you know, a planet having an exoskin that's five times the mass of the planet that, you know, helps it glide through space is fringely science fiction and more fantasy. But, you know, we tried to bring it as close to something real as we could. It took a while for us to, you know, nail that design, understand how that could work. And by doing that, by the end of it, Herman was like, got it. And the pages, I mean, I mean, we're right now, you know, done inking, I would say the first 60 of 150 pages. And that was going to be my next question. How far it's been uh, in production? Where, whereabouts are you? Novels written. The whole the whole script for the 160 pages are done, and we're about just just under 40 percent done with all the pages. Maybe wow. actually just over. But I would say, you know, to that point, every page has seven or eight panels, about 50 some odd pages, right? So we're looking in the hundreds of panels drawn, and I'd say. I could count on two hands how many panels we had him redraw. He gets the story so well. And, you know, that that to me is like, again, the un the un uh, the, the scorecard of Ricardo just knowing the right person to match with. And, you know, that's what I pride the most with my editors. If it's, you know, Joseph Illage on Tarna or Cold Dead War and the artists and people he's bringing in or bringing in Christopher Priest for Entropy and bringing the right artists there. Or if it's, you know, Morgan Rosenblum who's bringing the right artist team to do a series we have called Vassador and Crunch. Or he had a short in the magazine that was written by Steve Orlando, Tim Seeley called String Theory. And, you know, the story was cool and now the story's sick because of the way the art brings it to life. And that to me is what a great editor does. It's it's the pre-game warm-ups that are most important. You know, editing a story and words and art is a big piece of it, but putting the right team together and making sure that the words and the visuals congeal in the right way, that's what I think we have the best editing team in the game. Sure. Um I think when you talk to a number of people um, about he uh, Heavy Metal magazine or when you mention Heavy Metal, the film is certainly uh, the thing uh, that a lot of people think about. Um, and uh, a lot of the conversations that we've been having in 2020 about what content we can expect to uh, enjoy next year is going to be a lot of animation uh, because of the way that uh, production is happening. Um, I'm really curious as to whether you feel um, if heavy metal could return to a, 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 an animation, uh, whether it could come back as a film. The reason why I ask is uh, because of the different stories and the different storytellers you've got, whether it would be the anthology that we saw back in 1980 when the, the first uh, film came out, or could you see, because of the size and the cinematic scope of what you've done with Beyond Tana, whether it would be a Beyond Tana film. Um, so... Uh, sorry, Beyond, uh, sorry. Um, Beyond Kuiper. Yeah, yeah, it's Beyond Kuiper. Sorry, I, I, I am to like the Tana. Yeah, story. Tana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
do be on Arna. You're on uh, I do apologize. <laughs> no, but um, you know, I, I would I would say for anybody that's um that that that's curious, excited, interested, you know, not only are we gonna return to the silver screen with animations, but you know, we're gonna roll out a massive slate over the next five years. And we're gonna be doing a ton of adaptations. We have an amazing producing partner, uh, Diga Studios, that's helped us, you know, breathe to life a ton of projects, including our narrative podcast series. If anybody listens to Wonderwork, you know, the guy flying through space that looks like Jack Kirby's art right there is a character named Mortimer from season one of um, Wonderwork. We have, you know, about four other projects in development right now that we're going to be announcing next year from a TV film standpoint. So for me, it's less about if we're going to and more about how many are we going to do. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm looking at heavy metal and the brand and the gravitas that, you know, the last 44 years have granted us as the jump off point to, you know, a science fiction entertainment brand that can transcend print, audio, video, you know, it has the same feeling and evokes the same, you know, aspirations that Disney does. But for a much older, much more, you know, science, science fiction, fantasy driven focus. And that's what we want to do. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm interested to see if uh, there will be a Dottie's Inferno uh, chapter in a future heavy metal uh, animation film. I'm sure Bob would be uh, interested to uh, see that uh, possibly come to life as a, a part of the uh, an anthology. 100%. Uh, I would say, you know, the anthology animation, we'll get there, but let's let's explore some of our stories as their own shows first. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think that's the thing that's kind of gotten me excited about heavy metal over the last year and a half um when uh i started to see the um announcements roll out uh when i saw about virus and when i saw about uh, wonder uh, wonderworks as well it, it all it started become uh very it, it wasn't a surprise to me it was it, it was the ambition uh and it, it there was it was a case of it wasn't that um, you were branching out. It was it was almost like uh, heavy metal was already there, um, especially when, like you say, the the, the different uh, styles that have been throughout the magazine throughout the year over the years, uh, and um, it's you we talk about heavy metal um, sort of testing the boundaries, but it's always been testing the boundaries, and I think that's what's so exciting about uh, the magazine, and I'm certainly excited about seeing what happens uh, beyond now because everything that we've seen in the last year and a half it's it's groundwork for it feels like groundwork for even bigger and better things so uh, i'm very much excited to see what's coming in 2021 can you tease about anything that uh, you're excited about uh, certainly as we get into the new year and uh, what uh, heavy metal's got coming down the line yeah i mean i think you know stories like sun eater and Darkwing and, you know, Beyond Kuiper and Dottie's Inferno and, and some of the stuff that, you know, we started front loading in 2020 and have started coming out and are in 
full swing, you know, expect bigger announcements and adaptations and other things. And we're, you know, working on that, you know, supply chain of getting new stories out to our fans and to new fans, you know, and taking, taking what's on the page and, you know, imagining what it could be on the screen or on audio. And, you know, we, we just want to tell as many great stories as we can in as many mediums as our fan base allots us the ability to. Sure. I, th I think the challenge as well uh, is reintroducing um, heavy metal to, uh, to a fan base because uh, the way that uh, that will be done for comics, for print, uh, and for uh, the, the medias that you talk about is either at Comic-Cons or in comic book shops. Now, heavy metal, obviously, it's, um, it is concentrating a lot on direct uh, retail, uh, through um, uh, the, the mail order service, Comic Cons obviously is, is going to be harder to uh, to get the word out. Um, what I mean, let, let's talk about the challenges then of not only honouring the the fan base of the existing magazine and what oh, that uh, incredible legacy that it has, but it's a case of getting new eyeballs on these uh, new projects. Can we talk about the challenges of, of that and what you're doing to overcome that? Uh, because at the end of the day, it is a case of banging the drum as loud as you possibly can. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think, you know, for us, it's taking creators, you know, like Steve Orlando, who it's a great example, right? Big name right now in comics is doing, was doing Wonder Woman, doing other awesome stories. His new image book just did 50,000 of its number one. And, you know, bring him in and being like, what story in your voice do you want to tell that's dialed up higher than anything else that you've told so far? And that's what Star Wars is, which is coming out next year. And, you know, rinsing and repeating that model with creators today that are, you know, speaking to today's audience and telling those creators, hey, come to this playground and take away all of the barriers, all of the fail safes, all the safeguards, take them off and tell the story that you in your head have always wanted to tell, but you've been curbing it a little bit based on whatever other publishers you've worked with and what their guardrails are. Take those off, come here and tell that story that you really want to tell. And that's what we've been doing with a ton of creators. And I think, you know, to your point, that's the only thing you can do right now, you know, when you're trying to get a younger generation is use the tenets of what got you here with the creators that speak to today's audience. Sure. Uh, I mean, certainly the names that you've gotten on board, um, they are ones that uh, get uh, enough eyeballs uh, onto uh, the uh, the titles that you're bringing out. And uh, certainly, like I say, the ones that, uh, that you're, you're doing, uh, I, I'm very excited about. And uh, I wish Heavy Metal Magazine in 2021 uh, even bigger and uh, bolder success uh, because you're taking chances and I think that's the thing that um, is sorely lacking in comics at the moment uh, the there is uh, there's imagination there but it's not being used in my opinion uh, there are uh, some publishers out there which are 
kind of doing some interesting things with distribution. I mean, TKO are doing uh, a, a cool thing with the way that they're getting books out. Uh, but no one's really kind of you know, letting rip. And I think that's what uh, heavy metal uh, has always done. And I'm looking forward to seeing more from uh, from the, the publisher. Thank you so much indeed for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, can you uh, give us the best places for people to go to find out more about heavy metal? Where is the first stop shop? to find out uh, the, the the newest stories from heavy metal. Yeah, I mean, heavymetal.com is is super easy and you can subscribe to our newsletter that comes out twice a week. Uh, you know, heavy metal on Instagram, uh, at heavy metal Inc, at Twitter. Um, you know, those, those three places, you'll be able to find out all information of what's coming up. And, you know, podcasts like this, we're trying to get the word out as uh, many places as we can. Excellent. Matthew, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to bring Bob on very quickly to say thank you because he has been lingering in the background yeah, and watching. Just to say <laughs> to the pair of you. Matthew, Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and uh, thank you so much indeed for coming on and talking about uh, the books and the projects you've got coming up. Thank Enjoy you. the weekend, sir. Thank you. Excellent. No, it's been, it's been awesome. And yeah, I mean, the, you know, the things that, Bob's doing with Dottie's and his prose novels are, you know, exactly what heavy metal needs in terms of diversity and, you know, the stuff that we're going to be putting out next year, I think is going to turn heads just as much as the stuff that we put out this year. Finally, I'm a diversity hire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I also quite liked the, the comment in the private chat of when we were talking about, um, uh, Dottie possibly being part of uh, heavy metal anthology animation. He went, yes, I'm excited about that. I'm <laughs> done with that. Yeah, so uh, looking forward to seeing uh, that happening on screen. Bob, Bob, Matthew, thank you very much indeed for coming on. Thank you, Leonard. Excellent stuff. Cheers. Thank you. So there you go. Um, yeah, do go check out heavy metal, um, heavymetal.com and heavy metal inc on their social medias. Well worth uh, checking out the books. Do check out the interview I did yesterday as well with Stephanie Phillips because what she's doing with Tana, the last Tarkarian, um, it looks incredible. Uh, it's again very much like what Matthew is doing with his books. It's very epic and very cinematic. And um, yeah, I think uh, if you like your stories big and bold and uh, very much metal, uh, heavy metal is the place to go. Excellent stuff indeed. Right, so that's our show for today. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Um, as uh, you heard halfway through, this has been uh, a full episode for our Patreon supporters. And thank you so much indeed for everyone who allows us to keep doing what we do and keep the lights on uh, for our uh, for the website and for the, uh, the Patreon, uh, uh, keeping us doing uh, what we do. Do support us, uh, and you can watch the full episodes uh, if you are a Patreon supporter at any of the tiers, even at the, the, the lowest tier, if you go to patreon.com uh, slash EnglishmanSDCC. And, of course, do like and subscribe and comment. Anything that you want to uh, spread the word about what we do on the show, do uh, let us know. Um, we are going to be doing an, an episode next week, which um, is going to be with Chris Carter from Global Comics. Uh, but we're also going to be uh, looking back at the virtual conventions as well. So for the first half of the episode next Sunday is going to be about um, uh, our interview with Chris Carter. But the second half is going to be about the virtual cons and about the landscape of 2020 
in the age of COVID. What has been the highs and lows? Where the energy has gone uh, in terms of uh, the, the virtual uh, events that have happened, uh, because there definitely seems to have been um, a, a real attempt to make things work. And then there's been some which it just, the, the, the air seems to have gone out of the balloon. We want to examine why, and we'll be doing that on uh, next week's show. Um, we may be doing another show before the end of the year, but that's down to gathering some of the forces, because what I'd like to do is try and get some of our regulars, uh, some of our uh, people that uh, join us on a regular basis uh, in the audience, friends and family, you could say, of uh, Talking Con, to come on and look back over the last year, because if anything, this is one that uh, will be remembered for not necessarily all the right reasons. But at the end of the day, we have to build from what we've learned in 2020. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget the audio version of this uh, podcast will be going up on our uh, uh, audio platforms tomorrow. So you'll be able to find it on SoundCloud, on Apple, on um, where else? Spotify as well. Uh, I'll be editing this bit out, as you could probably tell. But you'll find it on the, those three tomorrow from uh, midday uh, on Monday. And then the full episode will be available for everybody on Wednesday uh, at midday GMT as well. So that's our uh, schedule. Join us next week as we are going to be talking global comics with Chris Carter on Sunday, the 20th of December. Thank you very much indeed for everyone for watching. Hope you've enjoyed the show. And I'll see you next Sunday for another Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. From me to you, take care. Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego, is hosted by Leonard Sultana, who can be found at Englishman SDCC. Talking Con is a production of the Convention Collective. Support the podcast at patreon.com slash EnglishmanSDCC.